this is the intro for the Mike Beer interview. Hi, everyone. I'm Laurel Simmons, and welcome to the Right Club podcast. My guest host today is Victoria Clooney. Hi, Victoria. Hi, Laurel. How are you? I'm great. Wow. We had a great interview with Mike Beer, didn't we? It was really, really good. He was just full of knowledge, information, and has a really cool story behind him. He really does. And until you ask, start digging into someone, you and I were just talking about this, until you really start talking to someone, you, you don't know what their story is. And, and so many people have such amazing stories. And I love to hear them because it just goes to show that it doesn't matter what background you come from, how you started, there's always a way, isn't there? It's such a good reminder. No, it's great. So what was the one thing that struck you from Mike's interview? I really liked his candidness about how he transitioned from working his job, the reason behind why he transitioned, and then the challenges that he faced becoming a full-time real estate investor. Hmm, good. All right. Well, I think it's time to go to the interview, don't you? Let's do it. Welcome, Mike, to the Right Club podcast. It's great to see you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy that, you know, that we made time to kind of meet and have this, have this interview. Now, you are not in Canada right now. You are in, well, you tell us where you are. So, so right now I'm traveling. So we are in a, in a condo in, in Playa del Carmen, which is just south of, south of Cancun in Mexico. So that's the, I guess, benefits of, of real estate investing that you get to get to travel and then spend some time in warm Mexico instead of, instead of Canada in the winter. So Mike, is this a work trip, a vacation trip or a mix of both? So this is just vacation, just vacation. I typically don't actually work a lot when I'm on, on vacations. And then I invest, I invest in Canada and then, you know, vacation only outside of Canada. Okay. All right. That's good to know. I guess let, let's jump right into what type of properties are you investing in? So, so currently we're investing in multifamily properties in three separate cities and in Kitchener, Hamilton, and then London and have some legacy ones also in, in Toronto. And then they're, you know, we target buildings anywhere from 20, 30 units and up. And then sometimes they have like a mixed use component. So some storefronts, commercial at the bottom of them. Can I ask you a question about how you got started and more specifically why you got started? Because, you know, people, people like to know that. And I like to know that. Why, why and how did you get started in real estate investing? So, you know what? So let me, let me just give you a little bit of color where I, so I grew up actually in, in communist Poland and, and my parents were, you know, my, my dad was an engineer. My, my mom was a homemaker and it, it wasn't, it wasn't, I guess the easiest life. So my parents wanted to move to to Canada and, or somewhere else, actually, they wanted to move to Norway or, or, or Canada, whatever. And it was, it wasn't an easy, I guess, life because you would go, let's say, I remember this image of going into a meat store and they're hooks and they're all empty. And then there's a person working there at the store because it was a government owned store, not selling essentially anything. Right. So, so we're asking where, when, when will you have meat? Okay. Well, Wednesday. Right. So in a few days, so my parents decided that, you know, we should leave, but at the time you couldn't even leave. And then we, I, 
we couldn't get passports. So my mom went into the passport office and products, just to give context, were really scarce, like from Western countries. So my dad was a cargo ship engineer, so he would bring us coffee. So we, would, we actually bribed the lady to give us passports with coffee, right? So I remember that image. So we could go on a vacation. Um, I didn't know that at the time, but uh, on our way kind of across the border, my parents told us, uh, me and my sister, that, uh, you know what, we, we are actually not going on vacation. So be quiet when we're, when we're crossing the border, we're escaping. <laughs> so, so yeah, so basically we, we gone to the border. My sister was crying because she left her 16 year old. She was 16. She left her boyfriend. I was 10 years old at home. Um, but yeah, so long story short, we got to Canada. And uh, humbly, my, my dad was working in a factory where he was a professional engineer at home and then delivering pizzas at night. And you know what, that's really giving us that opportunity, such a gift that I, I thought, you know what, I got to do something meaningful with, with life and kind of seeing, seeing my parents struggle and, you know, us eating pizza, pizza in the evenings, I thought there's got to be a way to, to, to make money and it happened to be real estate. And what got you introduced to real estate? And that's a really powerful story that I hope we can circle back to and just be able to talk about the the resilient side of it that I'm sure you incorporate in your everyday life. But how did you find real estate and decide this is the path that I want to go? You know what? I was working. I was working as a as an IT executive for multinational companies. So so money was money was great. But then my wife introduced me to a friend, and it was just a casual conversation we had. And he basically said, "I said, what do you do?" And he said, "I'm a realtor, and then I have forty six tenants. Forty six tenants. I mean, I want to have forty six tenants. How, how do you do this, right?" So. So yeah, so we, we went out to learn to look at properties and I don't suggest anyone does this. I bought the first property we looked at, <laughs> the very first one. And it was, uh, it was an illegal fourplex. So that, that I purchased. So don't do that. <laughs> did you know it was illegal at the time or did you find out after the fact? You know what? I knew it was a legal triplex. But I thought it would be okay to run it as a fourplex. And then me being 100% green in, in real estate, that was the decision that, you know, that was made at the time. I think it's really important to, to highlight that people hold back so much because they don't feel like they've got the knowledge or they're ready to do this. And so your story there, the fact that you bought a property that was problematic, but it, obviously you've been able to... Yeah rectify the situation and figure it out. And so even though it wasn't the best decision that you could have made at the time, it was that foot in the door that got you obviously propelled to where you are today. You know what? There is, there is a saying in, in, in Polish that says, say when, when kids are like restless, they say they're, they've been bathed in hot water, right? So my parents used to tell me that because I was kind of a little bit more impulsive when I was a, when I was a child. So like, I, I remember this moment where we're standing like by a pool where with my sister, we're trying to get like a swimming card, basically that'll let you rent like recreation vehicles and stuff like that. And I was six years old and my sister was 12. And then and then the, the lifeguard says basically, okay, you're at the deep end of the pool in order to, to get this card, you've got to jump first and then, and then swim the length. And then I, I barely knew how to float. 
my sister knew how to swim. And she's like, she froze. She's like, I'm not doing this. And I just jumped. I leaped in. And then I see, I see like bubbles going and I'm kind of like sinking. And then I feel like this hand kind of grabbed me up. And then the lifeguard just took me out of the water. He started screaming at my mother. He said, this kid doesn't know how to swim. He's crazy, whatever. Right. So, so I've learned to take that something that wasn't necessarily an advantage and turn it into my advantage, where if I take that, that instinct to leap, but combine it with now more due diligence and then, and then leveraging my team to, 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 to buy buildings, marrying those two together kind of allows me to just jump on an opportunity if it makes sense. Now that fourplex didn't necessarily make sense. Yes, I made a, a lot of money on it, but it wasn't an ideal property, right? But that's kind of, I think, where, where that's rooted. Well, it's one thing to buy one property while you have a job, you know, because you were in IT. And it's an entirely different thing than to really go into this full-time because that's what you are, a full-time real estate investor. Mm -hmm. and, well, how, did you, how did you make that transition? What did you do? What, what drove you to do that? You know what? It's, I, I think it's just moments in life where I, I started investing more and more. And, and I remember sitting in my office and then this other executive that I was working for, like I was just kind of chilling and then doing email and, and he came to me running and then and said, okay, we got to go across the street in one hour, you got to prepare a presentation and and then present to this bank, and then you got to do it now. And I, holy, like this wave of anxiety kind of came over me. And I thought, I, I just, I don't need this. Like, I want more control of my life than that. And then someone kind of telling me that you got to do this, you got to do it now. And then with this such like, I just sense of urgency to put it lightly. So I thought that's that's it. I, I have to transition and then do something that I like. And then I found that, you know, in being an IT executive and, and then finishing like math and computer science in Waterloo, it's just buying multifamily buildings are, are, are really just solving problems and then taking people and then helping you move through a project or a transition of a building. It's, it's, it's kind of all the same. It's all logical, right? That's, that's the way I, I kind of look at it. When you decided to make that transition, you, you know, you made that decision. Did you have a plan in place or did you do again, like jumping into the water head first? And what was the challenge, like the biggest challenge that you found transferring from being, you know, employed to a full-time real estate investor? You know what? I actually took a really long time to do it. I, I kept buying and buying properties and and, and you're really trying to do both things at the same time. So, but naturally at a certain point, it was just basically, I thought, I just don't have time today because I have all these investors where we're investing in, in larger buildings and it's just, it's, and then my mentor was laughing at me. He's like, I don't understand why you're still working. Right. So basically that combined. And I think the biggest challenge for me wasn't like, it wasn't a, a, a a problem to solve. It was more about the scarcity mentality where I thought oh, I always need a salary, like coming in every single month versus, you know, from real estate, it's not always consistent. Sometimes it's sporadic, right? And then you're taking a basically a leap of faith. So I would say getting over that scarcity mindset, which I think I still have to a certain point, that was the biggest challenge. 
How do you deal with that then? Because well, I think you're right. I think you nailed it. A lot of people who are in real estate investing full-time, there's always that, you know, you wake up maybe in the middle of the night or something happens and you go, oh, geez, <laughs> I've got hmm, a huge, like a lot of money to pay out in the next little while and I'm not seeing a whole lot come in or or whatever it is. Or there could be a major outlay of, of capital on an unexpected, whatever, you know, issue with a, with a, with a building. So how do you deal with that? You know what, I, I think that what helped me is, is actually growing the portfolio and seeing that if there's an issue with one, one property, then others don't have issues at the same time. That helped me. And then I think reassurance from, from my mentor that, that I'm on the right path. And then, and then just coming back to look at the numbers again and again, right? Because I think our mind plays tricks on us saying, oh, the worst case scenario, this could happen or that could happen. But if you kind of... For me, it's comforting when I look at the numbers again and again, saying, oh, you know what? This is, this property is making money. Yes, we had, I don't know, like if, you know, a boiler issue, but still it, the money we're making on these properties is, is outweigh all this stuff combined, the broken window or, 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 or something. So just coming back to kind of the basics, I think reviewing the numbers, being in a good community, like that, like your club. Right. And then, and then speaking to other invest, all of that combined, I think gives me a little bit of. Have you shift focus or changed a little bit of your strategy now with what's going on with the market? Did you anticipate this in advance? Like, where are you at with the investing? Have you done any recent acquisitions with the higher interest rates? Just bought a, just bought a building a month ago. It's in Kitchener. It's an apartment building close to downtown. I built in, so the only shift really I did is I built in some extra room for the, for the interest rates. If they increase further, obviously if they increase infinitely, where cash flow is going to be really tight, but then also we're, we're trying to accelerate, like we're, we're turning over tenants in, in the property. So we're trying to accelerate that to really keep the positive, positive cash flow. And then, you know, these, these properties in Ontario, they never cash flow positive from the beginning. So, so interest rates make it worse. But then when I showed my investors, because there are some of them were really concerned about the interest rates, like how, just how much of an impact it is, because we're holding these properties for five years. It's really minuscule to what they make, the, the interest rate impact. So we're trying to keep like a longer term vision in play combined with increasing cash flow as soon as possible, right? Now, you mentioned that you're holding the properties for five years. And then is that's part of your strategy, if I understand correctly, is that you sell the properties after five years. Why not refinance and hold on to them? You know what? I would love to keep properties forever. And in some of my own, we keep them for, for a long period of time. But unfortunately, I think for, for investors, at least the ones I'm dealing with, nobody would buy in if I gave them a 21 year project, right? So they're looking at something definitive, which in, in five years, I think we've been taught that five years is a good time frame by the banks where the issue fixed rates for five years, whatever. So, so that's the reason. And then I have multiple people, so you have to have like a clear business plan where we're not deciding year three what to do, but rather we're, fo we're following like a predetermined plan. 
So instead of doing the refinance, you're trying to sell that to be able to recoup over and above what their investment would be. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Right Club Nation, just want to take a quick moment here and introduce you to Private Money for Mortgages, which is a mortgage brokerage. And the great thing about private money for mortgages is if you are looking to do a flip or a burr or something that requires a little bit more work where you might not get traditional bank financing, a great opportunity to still acquire that property is with private money. So private money is going to be at some point in your journey a necessary tool for you or maybe somebody that you know, another investor to build your portfolio and knowledge is key. You can book a discovery call with Susan and her team to learn why, how, and when to use private mortgages in your real estate journey. You can visit their website, which is privatemoneyformortgages.com. And there's a free guide to private mortgages that you can get there. And also Susan can help you with a vetting process. So when you are looking at properties, whether it's a flip property or a burr property, they can assist you with finding different financing options for these types of purchases. And again, it could come with a higher cost. Most likely it will because it's private money, but if it is executed properly with a proper exit, that is going to be key. So again, private money for mortgages, which is the number four com and now back to the show and now back to the show still do refinance at a, a year two or three so it depends how quickly that the, the project moves along because at the beginning these the, the properties they don't really cash flow too well and then the interest rate is slightly higher because because of the debt coverage ratio meaning that there is not enough rent to, to cover everything so we still re- refinance about year 2 or 3 and then look at selling the property year 5 and then sometimes 6 you mentioned that you that you had you got Tenants out, like you would, you would get a, a tenant. What, what, she, what was the phrase you used? Tenant transition or something Turnover. like that. Turnover. Turnover. Thank you. And how do you manage that? Because when you when you purchase a new apartment building, you do have existing tenants, and you can't just say there's the door. <laughs> right. Right. What do you? How do you manage that? What do you do? So, so essentially, really, the plan is to take an average apartment and building and then turn it into like a pretty amazing community. So. So in the prop in a, in the properties we buy, we don't have, they're not distressed property. I would say people are average, and and then some of the interiors are they 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 haven't been taken care of the interiors, but the, the building is sound. So then we look at different ways. One is there is there is always natural attrition in the building. So if you have forty units, maybe eight four four to eight easily will will move out in a given year. So you have natural attrition in the building. And it depends on the, on the area and then tenant type, that attrition. And then second one is, unfortunately, some of these tenants live in, in, in tougher conditions that meaning the, the, yeah, there's, the, these apartments are not exactly pristine. So if we offer that units just outside of the city that are a lot nicer for a slight increase in rent, some tenants take that as well. And then, and then the, the method you, you've been, you've been familiar with was just cash for keys, which I call check for keys because it's all got to be hundred percent legal. That's uh, we leverage that strategy too. So it's, I would say it's a mix of mix of all three. There isn't like one silver bullet, but definitely it is, it is challenging. It's not, it's not the easiest thing to do in, in, in Ontario. 
No, not at all. I'm very curious because it for the audience that's listening, anyone who wants to be an aspiring investor, get into the bigger multifamily buildings. It's not usually a one man show. So I would like to know who's on your team, if you have a team, and then how did you build that team? You know what? It, it actually grew a little bit organically. So I find that every time the company grows, something is frustrating. Like, like my accountant would be frustrating. I'm thinking, why, is, why am I frustrated with him? Oh, it's because we, we outgrew him. Right. So a lot of that stuff happens, happens organically. But really the way, the way we run our team, I have an operations person. That's kind of more of a general, general manager, which allows me time to do more of the acquisition and then, uh, and then some of the raising of the capital. But then we have people on the ground in Kitchener, London, and Hamilton, and it's a blended team. So we have our own people that do more of the cleaning kind of the day to day. And then we also have a property manager that does more of the 2 a.m. calls and then 24 by 7. And then one, one back office team that handles like a lot of the property management side of, and then the construction team that's kind of dedicated. Those are subcontractors too, but they, they, they essentially work only for me and for themselves. Okay. So mostly contracted out. Do you have like a bookkeeper that you use or are you doing all of your books yourself? No, no. I, you know what I would, no, we have a bookkeeper, then accountant. That whole kind of team, they, they, cause they've got to do it on a project by project basis. But I would say that for people looking to grow their, their portfolio is really, um, finding a good property manager. I would never recommend self-managing unless you're trying to keep your portfolio very small. I think that's one, one thing I've decided while getting into the business. I'm not, I'm not very handy, like with painting, I'll, I'll do it. I can. But I decided I'm never going to do it because I just don't love doing it. And then I'm not going to manage my own property. And then that kind of allowed me just to scale. So I would say when people are, your listeners, if they're looking, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to get into, let's say student properties in Hamilton. So you'd look for a property manager that really specializes in student properties in Hamilton. They understand that market. They understand how to market to students. They understand the, the rate that, that the rents are really well in that market. So if you want to have, I don't know, 15 student properties, you would really focus in on not just any property manager, but one that specializes in Hamilton and student rentals. Absolutely. I, Laurel and I, we could talk about this for hours, but the, the book, Who Not How, that was the big game changer for me of just realizing that even if I can do it, doesn't mean that I should do it. And I mm -hmm. think holds people back so often is that, you know, they're trying to cut corners or they're trying to save a buck, not realizing if they invest the money into the people who are experts in that, it allows you that freedom and time to focus on what you're good at, which on your end would be the acquisition side of things, raising capital, but you shouldn't necessarily be doing the management. And this is all learned from mistakes. So I'll tell you, yeah. I had a property manager, which wasn't, so I had some student properties a long time ago and I had a property manager, which wasn't necessarily, he was, he knew Hamilton, but not necessarily student properties. So then what ended up happening is students go for, uh, for home for break, let's say around mid December, and then they come back usually in, in, in January, but a lot of the homes are empty during that time. So. So I get a call, I think it was just, just after 
after New Year from my property manager, which said, Mike, your house is frozen. Like, what? What do you mean my house is frozen? How can I? And he said, yes. What happened was the students, they turned off the heat because they wanted to save, save money utilities. And it was like minus 20 for two weeks. The house was completely frozen inside out. So when they started, I guess, defrosting property, uh, you could just hear like the pipes bursting, like boom, 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 boom. Right. And then the basement was like full of water. It was, it was such a mess. You know, and then I thought about, and then it's, and of course we try to go after the students for it, but, but you know what, uh, their parents basically all claim it's not their fault. It's never your kid's fault. Right. So, so we got it some is, money back. <laughs> and it is fun. It, 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 yeah, kind of chuckling. I'm trying not to laugh because it is kind of funny in a way. Like I can just, I can just, I can just see these, these like, six floating. And when you said a frozen house, I just had a vision of like this thing draped in ice almost. <laughs> And it is kind of funny. So is that your your worst? Was that what you consider to be your worst mistake in, in real estate investing? Or is there something else? You know what? It wasn't my worst. But just, just to kind of finish on that point, it cost about $12,000. The insurance wouldn't, wouldn't pay for it. So, so I got some money from the students. But it was as simple as like a property manager that's seasoned with students goes in like before Christmas and then checks these properties to, when they're empty to to, to make sure they're okay. Cause they know students do these kind of things. Now we didn't have like a, like an electronic thermostat, which are very common now, but it wasn't, it wasn't common then. So as simple as that, that's what I'm talking about when getting a property manager that really knows them. But worst days, the worst mistake ever was I actually, I invested in real estate after I paid off my personal residence. So I went ahead and paid off my entire mortgage and then started investing in real estate. So I could have been, I could have started investing a lot sooner had I not had the dream of kind of paying off my mortgage. So, so I would say that was one of the worst, the worst mistakes. It's such a, I mean, old school mentality, right? That it's hard to get out of that, but just my, my parents had the same dream of they want to pay the mortgage off, mortgage free. That was that was the big dream people had. Yeah, absolutely. And then I wasn't I wasn't part of a real estate community, so people around me talked about you know being mortgage free, how amazing it would be. But you know, if you go to, if you go to the right club, everybody talks about opposite. I got too much equity in my home. Let me let me invest, right? So so I didn't do that. that wasn't that was one of the bigger mistakes? I would say. Well, and you know what? We all learn, right? We all learn as we go along. And I remember when I started out too, it was like, my, my goal was to get that mortgage down, get that mortgage down. Every month I'd look at the statement and then all of a sudden I went, wait a minute, because somebody introduced me to real estate. I went, hmm, I mean, I can actually make some money with money that I already have in the house that I don't really have, but it's called equity. And there you go. That's how you learn, right? But we are now going to move on to the lightning round. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Butler Mortgages, Canada's number one mortgage brokerage three years in a row. If you need a great mortgage broker to help you with investing in real estate or to help you purchase your next home, reach out to Daniel Patton and Michael Zanzini from Butler Mortgages. You can do that by calling 905-569-8326 or toll free at one 888 and check out their website, butlermortgages.com, or by email, daniel.patton 
at butlermortgages.com or michael.zanzini at butlermortgages.com. And let's go to the lightning round. So here you go. These are not trick questions, Mike, but they, they, we just want your first responses. I'm going to ask the first one and say whatever comes to mind. And then Victoria will ask the next one. Okay. Number one, what's the best advice that you've ever received from another investment, sorry, another investor or at a networking event? Is invest now. Don't wait. Invest now and invest for long term. Okay, good. Quick answer. My question is, if you could tell your 20-year-old self something, what would that be? I would say, look at when, when deciding what to do in life, really be conscious of, is this an ego-driven direction or is this like a needs-driven direction? To come into, come into, I guess, situation and then think about it from how is my life going to be versus, oh, it would be cool and people would say, you're, an, you're amazing, right? Because you did this. Oh, good. All right. I like that. Now, what's the, the attribute that you think has made you the, the, as successful as you are? What's the key attribute? I think, I think it's coming back to that swimming pool, taking the leap, taking that leap, you know, not overly, and yes, analyzing, doing all the homework, leveraging the team, but then there's a point where you just got to move, right? So, on, yeah. on properties. I think that's the, that's the, a key attribute there. Love it. Love it. Okay, Mike, what is your favorite resource for real estate investing? It can be a book. It can be a website, anything at all. Like what's your go-to resource? You know what? I think it's just uh, real estate clubs. That's the best resource because not only, not only, for example, your club, not only you get the education, but then you can ask people questions, what they think. And then you know what, even I get a lot of ideas, even from people that are just starting out. They said, oh, you know what, I'm using this tactic. And I'm like, well, you know what, I actually thought about that. I should actually do that too. How would that apply to my portfolio? So, so that's, I think, the best, the best resource. That's a good answer. Yeah, I like that answer too, because I think you, you've nailed it. We, sometimes when you've been in real estate investing for a while, you, you, you tend to think that you know a lot. I mean, yes, you do, but it's, you, you never can know everything, right? And people who are coming along and are looking at it with fresh eyes will often give us ideas. And like, just like you said, that we go, wait a minute. Wow. I hadn't thought of it that way. Or, oh, I used to do that, but I don't anymore. And I'll go back and look at it. So yeah, it's, it all works together, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we've come to the end of our podcast interview. Thank you so much, Mike. Before we go, though. How can people reach you? I think the best place is just my website, mikebeer.ca. Everything is absolutely out there. Produce some content to try to help people as well. So that would be, uh, be good. And it's M-I-K-E. And I always like to spell this B-E-E-R, right? Yes. Beer like beer. That's my last name. Okay. Dot C-A. Mike, <laughs> dot C-A. All right. Just make it absolutely clear. Mikebeer.ca. Okay. Well, there you can go reach, reach Mike there. Thank you so very much and enjoy your time in, in that wonderful warm weather. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You made this absolutely easy and then it flowed so great. So, so thanks again for having Thanks, Mike. Well, Victoria, there you go. Mike Beer with his amazing story, his, or stories, his exploding house. I'm sorry, I'm still, I'm still chuckling over that one. I, 
the, the pipes. And I can, that to me is just, I can see it. I can actually visual. see it. Yeah. yeah, there is a visual that comes with that story. That's for sure. <laughs> I thought he was a great interview. I really, really liked his whole analogy about jumping in the pool. And it's an actual story from his childhood, but it really represents how he has been investing and how he got into investing. Absolutely. Well, as we say here at the Right Club, customize your life. And I believe that Mike Beer has done that. I agree. All right. Hey, everyone. Listen to you. We'll, we'll see you next time. And I hope we have you on our listening to our other podcast interviews. And if you want to find out more about the Right Club, go to therightclub.com. Lots of free content, lots of podcasts, lots of videos, lots of resources for you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care, everyone.